Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegler here with Don Callahan talking UNC football recruiting. Don, uh, man, you've had a busy couple of weeks, dude. Yeah, um, last week I made a bunch of trips to schools around and in Rocky Mountain High School on one day. The next day I was in Concord visiting a bunch of schools, talking to recruits, talking to um, coaches. And then I ended up on Friday in you know in the Charlotte area still um, visiting Harding University High School and then also um, Sun Valley High School. So um, I've, I've put out a couple stories from that tr- the, those trips earlier this week, and I'm just going to c- continue to pump them up. And I actually have more trips planned coming up this week too so um you know it's kind of like i don't want to say it's a dead sort of time recruiting wise because there's a lot of like individual visits going on but for north carolina you know they had their big junior day in january they're gonna have another one later on this month so right now it's kind of like the lull in between those those two um, big recruiting events and then you have spring break next week for north carolina so not a whole lot's going on but uh so it's actually a perfect opportunity for me to kind of hit the road and and do some um do some on location interviews and stuff What's uh what's been going on with you? Uh kind of just the same thing, man. Staying busy with work and everything and this is kind of a slow part of the year for football, but like you said and there are a lot of offers that have gone out and I think with the spring day coming up, hopefully there will be some more news coming up about who might be attending UNC spring game on April the 14th, I believe it is, isn't that correct? I think so. I know that yeah. it was like a weird way of them putting it. They didn't even officially announce it. it. Was It was one of the assistant coaches kind of putting out there, yeah. which I'm not really understanding. Um, yeah, April 14th is a, is the uh, spring game. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to, to still see, like, which prospects can make it to that one, if there are any. Um, but we'll go ahead and get started for the podcast. And I want to let the listeners know that we're going to be doing this a little bit different than normal. So... Don, you and I are going to be talking in the first part. We're going to be going over our rankings of who we think the most successful commits have been under Coach Larry Fedora. And then we're also going to be discussing the news that just broke on Monday this week that Coach Brewer has left the Tar Heel staff to join the Philadelphia Eagles. And that's going to have major recruiting implications, I would imagine. So you and I will be discussing that. And then the second half of the podcast, we're going to have Greg Barnes and hopefully Tommy Ashley on to talk about the football practice that occurred today. I think this was the only practice that the media were going to be allowed at for the week. So even though the weather was pretty bad, Greg was still on location. So we will get his report in the second half of this podcast. But we'll go ahead and get started with ours, man. And like I said, we had asked the listeners to rank who they thought the best commits were under Larry Fedora. You and I will give our lists after that, but how was our feedback for this one? Well, we we had a good amount, but it it did not come anywhere close to our, the record breaking amount that we had the week prior. Or actually, I I think we we forgot to mention that we actually took last week off because of um there was just a lot of I guess podcast activity elsewhere, and then you and I both had a lot of stuff going on, including the, the, the visits that I made that, that I just mentioned. So um, so we actually took a week off, and even though we had that extra week, 
we had, let's see here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. seven. So it's a, it's a solid number, but it's, you know, it's not nowhere close to um, our record, which I forget what that was. Was that 15? 12, I think. 12, 12. Okay. I'm getting ambitious there. <laughs> so so do you want me to give you the uh, the listeners' submissions? Yeah, let's go ahead and, and hear those first. Okay. So um, actually, first, before I do that, do you want to talk about just how – you went about um, actually ranking because I felt like this was such a different ranking compared to the other ones. Cause the other ones was, was a lot of, uh, well, the majority of other ones were a lot of um, film watching and everything like that. And this was kind of, I mean, I, I had my way. What, what way did you go about it? And I'll, I'll explain my way. So I went about it as when I looked at who was successful, I took into account what a recruit's ranking was coming out of high school. That's kind of where I started. And then I looked at how did they develop? So what did they accomplish during their careers at Carolina? So I think my list is probably going to be weighted towards a lot of guys that played on that 2015 squad that were able to win the Coastal Division and had the shot at playing in a potential BCS bowl game. But I just looked at their careers overall, kind of, you know, compared that to what the expectations were coming out of high school and really looked at, all right, were they also drafted? I tried to have a bunch of different criteria, but I felt that this was a ranking that, you know, I I feel that we're going to have a pretty diverse group of guys, except for maybe two names that most listeners probably thought of immediately. But outside of that, I think we're really going to have a pretty big spread here. See, um, well, yeah, I'll I'll first go into um, my method. I, I felt like I had to start off with which, you know, what players kind of stuck in my mind. Um, And obviously that wasn't going to be the be all and end all, but that was going to be the, the basis of it. Cause obviously if, a player didn't make an impact in my mind to where I remember them or I, I think of them immediately when I think of the last few seasons, then they probably weren't someone who I should be considering. So I had about a dozen names. And then what I did was kind of go back and, and just kind of look at their stats, the records that they broke, um, you know, what sort of ACC teams and that sort of stuff. And I really kind of um, ended up weighing the, the, the all ACC teams a lot, a lot heavier than other, I guess, um, qualifiers um, just because it's hard to kind of compare an offensive lineman, for example, to a wide receiver based off of the stats, you know, but the, the, the all ACC teams kind of level the field a little bit. I mean, obviously nothing's perfect. So that's, that's the way I did it. Now, just looking real quickly at what the the listeners submitted, um, it was actually, I would say there's probably the same eight or so that people kind of drew from Mm. and, you know, um, and and I definitely agree with you. The there's two I think that might have been in all the, all of the submissions, um, and and it will become obvious once I read them. So let me just start with um, now. We have a lot of like I think these are family members of yours, John. Um, <laughs> so we have here. So we have we have John from South Carolina. John with with no H, so J O M. Then we have John from Alexandria, J O H N, and then John from Burlington, J O H N. So I don't know what is going on. I mean, is this a fan club thing or is it, you know, do you have a lot of relatives that are listening to the show or what's going on? They're all burner accounts. They're all <laughs> fake bots that I have had set up. Yes. Are they Russian bots? 
They might be. I cannot confirm or deny that, but yeah, they're, they're just all me. I'm just, I'm an egomaniac, so I have to get my name in here as much as possible. All right, let me just ask this question before I proceed. Uh-huh. Is, is there any colluding going on? <laughs> no, there's no colluding. Now, for Buck Sanders, you know, I can't comment on him, but, you know, as far as, as, far as I am concerned, no, no collusion. Okay. All right, so the first John, John with no H. From South Carolina, his and this is I'm just going to list them in order: uh, Ryan Switzer, Ryan Switzer, MJ Stewart, Quinshaw Davis, Lucas Crowley, and Elijah Hood. Then we have Chris from Charlotte. Again, this is in order: Mitch Trubisky, Ryan Switzer, Elijah Hood, MJ Stewart, TJ Logan. Then we have Ben from Chapel Hill. I wonder if this is the Ben that we know. Um, I don't know. Remember, maybe. It could be. Maybe he's a listener. Maybe he's a fan. Uh, Ryan yeah. Swissner, number one. Mitch Trubisky, Elijah Hood, Nas Jones, Quinshaw Davis. Then we have our, our John, our second John from Alexandria. Uh, Ryan Switzer, Elijah Hood, Quinshaw Davis, MJ Stewart, Mitch Trubisky. Again, these are all in, in ranking order. We have another John from Burlington, uh, Quinshaw Davis, Ryan Switzer, Nazir Jones, Ms. Trubisky, Des Lawrence, and now we have Paul from Morganton, Ryan Switzer, Quinshaw Davis, MJ Stewart, Donnie Miles, and Mitch Trubisky. And then we have Joby from Winston-Salem, Mitch Trubisky, Ryan Switzer, Mac Hollins, which we kind of said that wouldn't count because he wasn't technically recruited in the sense that we're talking about, uh, MJ Stewart, and then he threw in a... In a Kind of a uh, a snarky one at the end, Ronnie Harrison, which, <laughs> which you know, um, I don't know if we even should even mention or talk about it. What uh, he I has think, done in Alabama, and yeah, you know. I think calling it snarky is good enough. But yeah, yeah. that was yeah. Oof. that one stings a little bit. Yeah. So, um, how do you want to do this for us? All right. So um, I don't know. We can either bounce back and forth, or we can keep on doing. The method that we have been where we both give our number fives and then we discuss it. Then we both give our number fours. We can do it that way, Don, or we can just, you know, go back and forth. How are you feeling today? Um, let's do the way that we did the last couple of weeks because I think you like that one. So Okay. All right. That sounds good. Well, I'll go ahead and give my number five then. And I went with Nazir Jones as my number five spot. All right, I went with Lucas Crawley for my number five. Uh, do you want to give your explanation on why you went with Jones? Sure. So I went with Nas because I think with Nas, his production kind of heavily outweighed, I felt, his ranking coming out of high school. Because a lot of people may not remember that Nas was a three-star guy. So he was one of those kids that obviously had potential but I think how he was able to really grow into that all-ACC type player and to get his stats, especially playing that defensive tackle position, was really good. I mean, he finished his junior year with 38 tackles. Um, I'm sorry, with 70 tackles, 9.5 for loss, 2.5 sacks. He had two interceptions during his career. And to me, kind of the deciding factor why I put Nas at five is because he's probably the player along the defensive line that if he's not out there, you can tell. 
I think a lot of the, of the other defensive line guys, you know, they're able to be subbed in and out, but Nas just makes that difference. So why did you put Crowley there at five? Well, first, I want to say that um, well, two things. Um, I, I think it's really interesting. I kind of like the fact that you, you I guess, incorporated the the um, recruiting rankings in there. I think that was a good idea. I, I never thought about that. The other thing is, is that if you, uh, I don't know if you remember this, uh, and I'm sure once I bring it up, you'll remember it, but Nas coming out of his junior season or during his junior season, he had a lot of hype because he had a great junior season. And then right after his junior season, or, or maybe it was like towards the end of his junior season, I, I can't remember which, he became really, really sick to the point where they didn't, you know, there's a lot of um, really bad prognosis Mm-hmm. Or um, th- that they were, you know, thinking, and so a lot of schools, including North Carolina, were hesitant to offer him until they kind of saw how he um, recovered and, and and if he was going to recover. Um, and then he ended up earning the offer. Took the following July, the July before his senior season, before North Carolina offered, and he immediately accepted because he grew up a UNC fan. That Roanoke Rapids area where he, where he came from is a huge, huge following of North Carolina fans there. So anyway, so I'll get to. Um, why I went with um, with Lucas, you know, basically, and, and I also considered, you know, draft draft um, where they were drafted and everything like that. Um, but it wasn't like a huge factor. He was an undrafted guy. He's still in the league. Um, I think he was originally signed by the Cardinals, and now is with the Redskins because he was traded by uh, from the Steelers to the Redskins. I think it was right before the season. You know, uh, in 2016, he was a second team All ACC. In 2015, he was third-team All-ACC. He was a three-year starter. He was kind of the, um, I guess, the keystone of the uh, the offensive line for those three seasons, kind of held it, it you know, together. So um, yeah, that's basically why I went with him. So for our number four, do you want me to go first this time? Yeah, go ahead. All right, my, my number four guy was Quinshot Davis. Uh, I, I thought that you might go there. So my number four... I cheated a little, a little bit here because I just couldn't make up my mind. But I think when you oh, hear these two no, names, John. I know, but but I think you'll understand it. At num- my number four spot, I went with the combo of TJ Logan and Elijah Hood. Okay. I had both of those guys. And I'll just jump right in here. The reason why I put both of those guys together is... I thought that those two combined made up one of the better running back tandems that Carolina has had in some time. And I think you saw that both of them throughout their careers had injuries, had other concerns, their play was kind of up and down. But if you take them as kind of an aggregate there, they really, really complemented each other well. I mean, I don't think that TJ Logan, especially compared to where he was at coming out of high school, I don't think there was a single person that thought he would be an NFL running back. And yet he was able to draft and stay on an an NFL squad. And then Elijah Hood, I know his departure from, you know, Carolina maybe left a little bit of a sour taste in some people's mouths. But his sophomore year, that 2015 season, he was just a beast that year. And... I think that's why I ended up putting them together because even though I feel that Elijah had the more successful career overall, if you look at it, their total yards from scrimmage, TJ ended up with 2,828 yards. Elijah ended up with 2,791 yards. TJ had 23 touchdowns. Elijah had 29. I mean, 
they are just right there. And so that's why I feel that in terms of guys that really had the impact and had success, those two I put both at the four spot because of just how well they did as a running back tandem. All right. All right. I guess I can excuse it, but I think I think for now on we gotta make sure we uh make the tough decisions. So <laughs> my my number four obviously was Quinshaw Davis, uh, which I mentioned. Um he was a guy who went undrafted, played a little bit with well, I think he practiced a little bit with the Lions and now is back at North Carolina as a coach. So good for him that things kind of worked out in that in that way. Um reason why, you know, as a freshman he set a school freshman record for receptions and yards. Uh, in his sophomore season, he was all ACC honorable mention. And then uh, his junior season, he was all ACC third team. Do I have that all right? Oh, I yeah, I'm sorry. So. His, yeah, his, I'm sorry. His senior season, he was all ACC third mm-hmm. team. Uh, he finished his UNC career with 205 uh, catches for 2614 yards, 25 touchdowns. So I mean I just like the the combination of of just being a consistent player for North Carolina during his uh his years, also setting some records as a freshman and then being a regular on the all ACC team. So why don't you give us your number 3? All right, my number 3 was MJ Stewart. So go ahead and give us yours and then let's hear why. Why don't you just give just give your description? We'll just well, go I've that gone, I've gone first like two times in a row, Don. I'm tired of talking, man. Okay, all right. I'll go first this time, all right? Elijah Hood, which uh, you, you touched on a bunch with your number four. You know, to be honest, when I was kind of going through and looking at everything about Elijah, I just, it kind of uh, frustrates me because I just think of what could have been if he could have stayed healthy and if he would have came back for his uh, his senior season. And I know that you touched on this a little bit, but I, I really can't help but but think those things when I was kind of doing my research for all of this stuff, especially as we talked about, and, and you, you know well, I've said multiple times he's the best running back I've seen in person while uh, covering uh, football recruiting. So it, it just it was just a little disappointing that, that he didn't end it a little bit, you know, just have a better career than he did. But still, it's still an impressive career. In 2016, he was all ACC third team. In 2015, he was all ACC first team. He rushed for over 2,500 yards during his career and had uh, 29 touchdowns. Yeah, Elijah definitely just had had a great career. And, you know, I mean, if you pushed me real hard for my number four, I probably would have gone with Elijah over TJ. I just, I don't know. I, I just always think of them together, like as just mm-hmm. that that tandem. Yeah, and you know, I I agree with that. Um, and and the thing that's is even more frustrating is I think if he would have stayed for his senior season, he would have had a better season because obviously North Carolina needed some running back help, so he, he would have got a full workload his senior season. And maybe he ends up being drafted higher than seventh round, going to the Raiders, where he's I think he's been I think he's on the practice squad there. I don't think he's he's actually been playing. I, I could be wrong on that. So it's just a little bit disappointing. So who is your number three? All right, so my number three was MJ Stewart, like I mentioned. And I think MJ locks down the number three spot because I think he's far and away the best defensive prospect that Coach Fedora has had during his entire time at at Carolina. I mean, the accolades speak for themselves. The way that MJ was just basically able to completely shut down an entire side of the field every time he played. The secondary without MJ Stewart is 
almost you shudder to think about it, really. But the way that he was able to be that constant presence, to develop into that lockdown corner, everything that MJ did in his career at Carolina just really, really uh, stood out to me. And I think that was just from his sophomore season on. I mean, if you talk about consistently, 2015, 62 tackles. 2016, 66 tackles. Ended up with 199 total tackles as his for his career at Carolina as a cornerback. That shows that not only is he willing to help out in the pass, but he's willing to get in there and also provide that run support. I struggle to think of a better defensive commit that Coach Fedora has had during his time. Would you agree with that, Don? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, both both MJ and Nas and um, and, and even Des Lawrence were, were guys that I really considered, um, but my entire top five, and I know, well, I don't think it's really given away too much or a spoiler for anyone, but my entire top five are offensive players. But, I mean, Coach Fedora is an offensive coach, so it kind of makes sense. Yeah, agreed. So, so you want to go first this time? Yeah, I'll go ahead. And my number two spot was Mitch Trubisky to the surprise of nobody. You know, Mitch was one of those two names that we were talking about that we felt like everyone would mention. Yeah. Do you want to give your description before I give mine? Uh, sure. I'll, I'll go ahead. Um, and the reason why I went with Mitch at the two spot, I mean, what more needs to be said? When you're talking about Mitch, you're talking about the highest drafted quarterback ever coming out of Carolina. He will probably go down as one of the most successful players to ever come out of Carolina, or at least we hope so. And when you look at what Mitch did during his collegiate career, I mean, for my money, I think he is the best quarterback that Carolina has ever had. And I know that that's even compared to, you know, Durant, Curry, those guys. But Mitch just, I think he put himself in another level. I know that a lot of fans will maybe say, you know, he didn't win as many games as some other guys, especially like Queez was able to during that 15 season. But if you're talking about just success and stats and things like that, Mitch just blew me away every time that he was on the field. So who was your number two guy? Well, before I get to my number two guy, um, I think the the argument could be made is that you would like to have seen him for I'm sure for UNC fans, you'd like to have seen him do it more than just one season. I know that he there was that time where he was rotating with with uh, Marquise for a season, but um, you know to kind of put him in the category of some of North Carolina's legendary quarterbacks, I think um, it would be nice for Mitch to do it more than just that junior season. Obviously, I'm not I'm not um, disappointed though, bec- like I like I was with Elijah, because at least with Mitch, he was going to a situation where he knew he was going to be drafted really, really, really high. Um, Elias's decision was, um, I don't know how to say it really, really nice. It was, I guess, a, misinformed. It, was, it was a surprise, I think, to everybody. It was a surprise, but it wasn't, it wasn't a smart decision to come out when he did. It just wasn't. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of rumors and all that sort of stuff and stories about why that happened, and we won't get into that. But anyway, my number two, and no, we did not, uh, we did not do this together, it was uh, also Mitch Trubisky. And actually, when I came in starting to do this, like just kind of in my head before I actually ranked it, I thought Mitch was going to be my number one. And then when I start to kind of just do the 
the full research, I gained a, an unbelievable appreciation for my number one, which I'll get to in a second, which I'm sure people will be able to guess. But just because, uh, just, I mean, I knew that my number one had a great career, but um, I think just kind of looking back and look at what he really accomplished and, and it's just like, wow, he, I mean, he had a better career than what I remember. But anyway, with Mitch, um, yeah, I mean, you know, as you said, second overall pick by the Chicago Bears. He's going to be the franchise quarterback there um, for years to come. They're, they're going to obviously build around him in, in the upcoming draft. You know, his his best season obviously was his was 2016. His junior season completed 68 percent of his passes for 3,748 yards, 30 touchdowns, and just six interceptions. Which that ratio is insane. Uh, you know, he ended his UNC career with, with, with just over 4,700 yards and 41 touchdowns. So I guess I'll give my number one, right? Is that the order we're going? Yeah, let's do it. And you know what? I think your number one is going to be the same as me. So, yeah. um, but, we'll but we still the... need, we still need a high quality drum roll. Absolutely. That's what I was about to say. All right. You ready? Yeah. You go ahead. Ryan Switzer. Hey, what a surprise. He was also my number one. <laughs> so um, for me, I mean, um, yeah, he's. I think he's going to be a good player for the Cowboys. I know that they only use him really in a uh, returner role, but I think that eventually he's he's going to uh, um, to be a, a big part of that offense um, in years to come. Um, but you're just looking at his UNC career. I mean, he was All-American in 2013 and 2015. I think both were as a returner, though. Um, but he was first team all ACC in 2013, 2015, led the nation in punt return average in 2013. It was a little over 20 yards an attempt. Um, in 2015, he had a team high 55 receptions for 697 yards and three, and, and, I'm sorry, six touchdowns. Um, also that, um, that was a, I'm sorry, in 2016, he set a single, a school single season record with 96 receptions, 1,112 yards, and six touchdowns. And he also is the school career record holder in both receptions and receiving yards. I don't know what else he could have possibly done, uh, you know, to really, you know, to have any better of a career for a three-star kid who really had four-star talent. I believe that then, if there's a way to look back on the message boards, when people ask me, I believed he was easily a four-star guy a lot of people discounted him because of his size because of the competition he played against but uh, he would go to the opening and he would dominate there any camp he, he went to he would dominate he dominated the freak show you know he was uh, a kid who as a recruit was uh, a really good player and like I said I felt like he should have been a four-star player and he proved to be I mean I think if we were ranking rating them um, coming out of college I and mean, he clearly would be would have had a four-star, five-star college career at North Carolina. So I'll let you say why you picked Ryan Switzer, even though I stole everything. Yeah, but here's the thing with Ryan, and, and you you can't say enough about, like you said, how good he was. I'll just chime in with, when you look at his career rankings, so Ryan ended up being, for his career, with 243 receptions. That is number six all-time in the ACC. All-time, mm-hmm. 243. Yeah. Receiving yards, number 19, 2,903, top 20. Punt yards, number seven in the ACC career for punt return yards, 1,082. Um, 
punt return touchdowns, number one, I think that's a tie in the ACC with seven, number four all time in the NCAA. So he has just made the record books like no other wide receiver has for Carolina, not to my knowledge anyways. Yeah, I mean, Ryan, he's number one. I think it's actually by a distance because like you said, I think if you mention success, a lot of people may think to Mitch based upon his draft at the number yeah. two. And that's what I fell victim to. Yeah. But then if you look at the production, I mean, Ryan, like, it just jumps off the page at you. It really does. Yeah. Yep. We'll go ahead. I can't think of another really good ranking that we can do, Don. I would say, unless if you had something in mind, maybe we can put that on hiatus a little bit. But w- what do you think? Yeah, I don't have anything in mind. I guess let me uh, think about it. I, you know, I like kind of keeping these rolling so people continue. But yeah, I don't have anything in mind. So let's let's try to put our thinking caps on, and hopefully uh, next week we'll have a good ranking for people. Yeah, that works for me. Um, then let's just go ahead and close out our segment, Don, with talking about Coach Brewer. Because, like I mentioned, the news broke on Monday that he was leaving the Tar Heels staff. He was joining the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, to start there, it's always, in my opinion, a upgrade when you go from the coaching ranks of college to the pros. The money's better. The benefits are better. They have a lot more set up for like their coaches in terms of what you can do after you retire. And I think that Brewer really saw this as a great career advancement opportunity. And I mean, it's hard to say I would have done anything different if I was in his shoes. Yeah. I mean, I don't blame Brewer at all. I mean, I don't know the exact circumstances, money and, and all that and um, maybe guarantees. Um, So there's a lot that a lot of variables that we don't, we don't know, but I mean, yeah, typically if you're going, up into the NFL ranks and it's not like a, uh, a quality control position. I mean, you, you're upgrading your salary and you're upgrading your resume and really, you know, you don't have to deal with recruiting. You get a lot of, you, you get some, you know, built in, you know, time off, which I'm sure a lot of coaches, uh, you know, would love to have. So, so yeah, so I can't, I can't blame them at all. Um, I just think that, uh, you know, who loses out on this is, is really North Carolina. I mean, I know that uh, we could say that about any coaching departure, and North Carolina has had a few, you know, Cherry Joseph, DeAndre Smith. But uh, with Brewer, it's just – I think the best way to kind of sum it up is, you know, my Quavaris Crouch story that I did. I actually conducted the interview on Friday and uh, talking to Quavaris, who is a five-star recruit. He's going to be the consensus number one recruit in the state of North Carolina – um, in the nation, he's ranked right now 18th. I've seen him ranked as high as number one. I think Rivals has him number one in the nation. So, I mean, this is – you don't get much better than uh, Kovars Crouch. Um, his uh, his coach is uh, uh, more than just kind of a coach. The area that uh, Harding is located is is a rough area, and a lot of the, the players there, they, they need a little bit of more guidance and players at other schools. And uh, Coach uh, Sam Griner does a good job of providing that guidance and being a positive – role model for those guys. So he um, is very actively involved in all the recruitments more so than may- maybe other coaches. He, he has to actually transport uh, players to recruiting business a lot of times because they don't have the transportation. Uh, but anyway, so when I was talking to both of them 
And, um, and actually I didn't even bring up, I didn't ask about coach Brewer. Um, I was asking some questions about North Carolina. Um, and then I was actually about to end the interview and then coach Griner offered up. He said, Hey, you know, I just want to let you know, and I'll just read the quote so people can kind of absorb it. Brewer is by far the best individual recruiter I've ever seen in my life. He's just a great dude. I love that guy. In recruiting, you meet a lot of people, and there's some great ones. There's a lot of great ones. Just in particular, someone who has been there from the very beginning. Clemson has been there from the, be- from the beginning. South Carolina has been there pretty much close to the beginning. And Michigan has been there from the beginning. But North Carolina, the one guy over, over anybody, Gunnar Brewer, is the best recruiter I've ever seen my entire life because he's so real. He's so genuine, and he's just a constant guy. It's not fake. He's a really great person, and I think that extremely helps Carolina with everybody that he's recruiting. Just as a relationship guy, oh man, we could talk to Brewer all day. I can have a conversation with him for two hours, and it will feel like 10 minutes. He's just amazing. So this is coming from the high school coach of the one of the top players in the nation. And that it's not a rare occurrence for me when I am on the road talking to parents, talking to recruits talking to coaches, particularly coaches, absolutely love Gunnar Brewer. I actually had a former UNC staffer who was uh, intimately involved with recruiting, probably as close to, I'll say, not, no, not probably about it. He was as close to North Carolina recruiting as you possibly could get. He's no longer there. And I um, spoke to him on Monday and he mentioned just how a huge loss Gunnar Brewer would be just because He's a tireless worker. He established, establishes relationships early on. He's very genuine. I mean, there's a lot of salesmen in in recruiting, but he's a guy who is as real as it possibly can get, you know. And obviously, this is for me, kind of observing things and seeing how things are done and seeing how he um, takes care of his his players, his recruits, and all that. But um, a lot of uh, coaches in uh, in the Charlotte area feel the same way. And, you know, he has a lot of ties that's going to be hard. I mean, obviously the, the logical replacement would be Thigpen that remains to be seen. And Thigpen is, is a great recruiter, but I just don't know if it's possible to completely replace Brewer and the connection he has. And just um, the admiration that the, the high school coaches in that area have for, for Brewer. So, so, uh, you know, he, like I said, it's going to be it's going to, it's going to be a big hit to North Carolina's recruiting, particularly in that area. And I'll let Greg um, kind of talk about Brewer as a coach, but um, I'll just throw out there though. I mean, just look at the resume as far as who he has coached, and I think that gets forgotten just because he's such a good recruiter. You talk about Randy Moss, Justin Blackman, Des Bryant. We just talked about Ryan Switzer. I mean, that's a guy that yeah, he came out of high school and he was. He he had a lot of talent, but Brewer helped develop that talent. Quinshot Davis, Mac Hollins is a guy who was a walk-on, completely opposite side of the spectrum is from uh, Ryan Switzer, and Brewer helped him develop into an NFL receiver. And he he's at the at the Eagles with uh, with Brewer now. When you heard the news, what was your reaction, John? Well, disappointment not for Coach Brewer, but for the program because. You've waxed poetically now for, uh, I should have timed it, but (laughs) a couple (laughs) minutes on Coach Brewer. And we've talked about him on the podcast before. You know, he is just one of those coaches that I think is irreplaceable when it comes to the recruiting. 
And I know he gets some criticism on the message board because he didn't always bring in the big fish. But I think that's more of an indictment on who he was recruiting because they often put Coach Brewer on the guys that were being recruited nationally. So when you're going up against Clemson, South Carolina, USC, Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State, Florida, I mean, the list goes on for these kids, the odds just say that you're going to lose most of them. I mean, that's just Mm -hmm. a fact. And I don't, I never got the criticism that, you know, Brewer is a great guy. Everyone loves him, but he doesn't reel him in. I just never bought into that. And so my first thought was that, man, how are we going to replace his relationships, especially in Charlotte? And I think, like you said, Don, Thigpen is kind of the guy that I think Coach Fedora will elect to move into that area and really start repairing those relationships ASAP. But I want to close this section just asking you, you know, a simple, complex question. How does Carolina replace Gunter Brewer? Is it even possible? I don't think it's possible completely. Now, I'm just talking recruiting-wise because, like I said, I think that the uh, him as a coach is is really underrated because of how good a recruiter he is. And again, I'll leave that to Greg. But as a recruiter, I don't think you're going to be able to re- replace it 100%. I think the closest thing is Thigpen. And I think really if you're going to say, okay, you know, name a recruiter in the nation that you could replace Brewer with, um, I think Thigpen would definitely be on that list just because you know, he played at North Carolina. He has recruited Charlotte before. And Thigpen has experience in with some heated SEC uh, recruiting battles. So you're going to get that in Charlotte. I mean, Charlotte's not an easy city to recruit because everybody in the Southeast recruits Charlotte. And I think Thigpen is, is a guy who um, is best suited to do that. They're still kind of shuffling the re- recruiting territory. So it's going to be interesting to see if that's what ends up happening. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think he's going to do it 100%. But Thigpen will have success because Thigpen's going to have success regardless of where he's at because he's, he's such a good recruiter. Let me just throw out one name to you real quick, Don, and that would be Robert Gillespie, the Tennessee running backs coach who was recently let go. There's some pretty hot rumors on the board that Fedora is looking at him to join the staff at the running back position, which would mean that Luke Pascal, the current running backs coach, would move to wide receivers, probably a little bit more natural position for Pascal. What about his name, though? What are your thoughts if Carolina can get him on staff? Well, before his name surfaced, I didn't know a whole lot about him. I've heard of him, but I didn't know a whole, whole lot about him, about him. But obviously, once he surfaced, I started to do a little bit of research just to see what type of recruits he's pulling in. Um, I plan on doing a little bit additional research, uh, reaching out to some sources and everything. I have talked to some some people around uh, Tennessee, and they had positive things to say about him. Obviously, you know, um, he pulled in some he pulled in some big names to uh, Tennessee while he was there. Jalen Hurd. Um, was a four-star guy. Alvin Kamara was a four-star guy that that he that he pulled in, and there's a few others that he was that he he was uh, one of the main recruiters for. So I think it's it's you know this late in the the game, you know, considering that all the other coaching staffs have, added, well, the majority of them I would assume, um, have added their tenth assistant coach, have basically filled up their coaching rosters. So there's not a lot of fish in the sea, so to speak, 
And so an Atlanta guy like this would be a, a huge um, accomplishment for North Carolina to kind of help with their recruiting efforts. And then obviously with um, the coaching staff. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and, and end it there, Don. Uh, like I mentioned at the very beginning, we are going to have in the second part of this podcast, Greg Barnes and potentially Tommy Ashley to talk about the football practice from earlier today. So we will take our break. But thanks for talking with me for this portion, Don. No problem. And we'll see everyone after this commercial break. And today, guys, I wanted to talk with everyone about shaving. Such a fun topic, I know. But if you are one of those guys that uses your razor way past the time when you're supposed to, I know I am just so hesitant to throw out blades because I think I can get another one or two shaves out of them. And it can lead to skin irritation. You know, you start cutting up your face in a way that's just not good for anyone. But fortunately for us, there is Harry's. Harry's is a razor company that takes away the guesswork. They provide high-quality razor blades at a great price, and they actually send you the blades on a set schedule so you know when it's time to switch. So Harry's is a great shave at a fair price. Over 3 million people have switched over to Harry's. It was initially started by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary regular guys that got fed up with being charged an arm and a leg by the big razor brand companies. So they purchased their own razor blade producing factory in Germany that churns out high quality blades and by eliminating the middleman, they're able to provide them to their customers at a great price. They are so confident that you are going to love their blades. They're willing to give the listeners of the Inside Carolina podcast a trial shave set for free when you sign up at harrys.com slash inside Carolina. There is no obligation and the only thing that you pay for is shipping. So again, to get your free trial offer from Harry's, which is a $13 value for free, you just need to go to harrys.com slash inside Carolina. Your free trial set includes a weighted ergonomic razor handle, five precision engineered blades with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade on the back, a rich lathering shave gel, which I love personally, and a travel blade cover. So again, to get that free trial set, go to harrys.com slash inside Carolina right now. That's harrys.com slash inside Carolina. Welcome back to the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegley here, and I'm now joined by Greg Barnes. Uh, unfortunately, Tommy Ashley was not able to make it due to scheduling. But as we mentioned in the first half of this podcast, Greg is here. And Greg, uh, you know, heard the weather was just beautiful today for that practice you were at, man. Yeah, it was fantastic. It's a uh, bright, clear, sunny spring day in Chapel Hill, about 75 <laughs> degrees. It's, uh, it was actually the, the opposite of that. It was, it was cold and wet. And as we stood out there, it was one of those days where the longer we stood, the, the heavier the rain poured down. Uh, and so uh, it wasn't fun for me, and I was just standing there. So I know it probably wasn't fun for the, the players either. Not yeah, I was definitely using some sarcasm there if, if we have any listeners that are outside of the North Carolina area. But let's talk about the practice itself. So the full report is on the Target Premium Message Board for the subscribers. You can view it there. But just kind of give me a general rundown of what it was like for this, because I believe this was the first practice that was open to the media, correct? It is. It's only the, the second practice that UNC has had this spring. Uh, Larry Fedora likes to kind of wrap spring practice around spring break. And one of the reasons he does that is so he can get a handful of practices in before the break 
and they can really uh, look at the tape during that, that spring break period. Of course, the players are off doing whatever. They don't practice that week. Uh, and they kind of get an idea of what some of the young guys can do, who's made strides you know, during the offseason. And so when they come back for the final you know, 10 practices or so, uh, they've really kind of got a game plan in place and, and how to push the guys. And Larry Larry talked after practice, and mo- what most teams do, and, and UNC is no different, this time of year, you're really trying to build depth. Of course, you, you've lost seniors from the previous year. You don't yet have uh, all of the freshman class, even though UNC has eight early enrollees, which is a, a significant number. Um, you, you're having to play a, a lot of walk-ons, but you still want to make sure that you have a two deep filled out as best you can and just get those guys an incredible amount of reps so that by the time training camp comes along, they're up to speed and you have a pretty good idea of which guys are capable of contributing. And so this period, you know, we've, we've talked about Blue Dawn some. That kind of gets you physically uh, and mentally in in. Uh, the works, you know, that, that's a very challenging deal that they do in the morning in the cold. But now it's okay. How much of the the playbook do you know? How much of the scheme do you understand? Uh, and it's really kind of the, the starting point for the 2018 season. So one of the positions that I know is going to be heavily talked about during this offseason is the quarterback spot. From what you saw today, and, and I know Larry Fedora doesn't usually allow the media a whole lot of viewing at the practices, what were you kind of able to see from the quarterbacks for this upcoming season? Well, really just kind of see what, what we saw last year, to be honest with you. Um, you, know, we, you could tell that, that uh, Chaz and Nathan both a little bit more comfortable than they were a year ago, which is what you would expect. Um, you know, but I, I think it's, it's really – what they bring to the table uh, is, is pretty much what we saw at the end of last year. You know, Chaz has a, uh, has a lot of talent. I mean, he's got a, a pretty big arm, a good athlete. Nathan's kind of that gritty competitor, uh, can, can make the, the smart decision. And so really I think what it's going to be between now uh, and that September 1st game against Cal, it's you know, which one of these guys can prove that they have the most upside. And you know, Chaz was kind of forced into a situation last year. They fully expected Brandon Harris to be the starting quarterback in 2017. When that did not pan out, Chaz was kind of pushing the action before he was ready. I think that caught up to him a bit, both physically and mentally. Uh, and that opened the door for Nathan Elliott to step in. And, and Elliott you know, played well. Um, he played very good against Miami, uh, took care of business against Pitt and Western Carolina, two of the weaker teams on UNC's schedule. Uh, and then, you know, was competitive against NC State. So both guys showed uh, a little bit last year. Both guys are going to have to show a lot more for North Carolina to get back on the winning side of the equation, which is what's going to be needed. Uh, so you know, we're going to see a competition, and it's not going to be one where Larry Fedora proclaims a leader after spring practice. He's probably not going to declare one until – uh, the you're right before that that season opener, and so these guys have plenty of opportunities to compete. They're going to be given you know, equal amount of reps from now until training camp, and so it's really just going to be whoever steps up and improves that they are capable of leading this team and making the right uh, plays and, and making the big plays, the smart plays to help this team along. And like I said, the quarterback position I think is going to be 
the one that Coach Fedora is most likely to have the most questions asked to him. And I agree with you, Greg. I don't think this one's going to be resolved until literally right before kickoff, basically. Let's talk about the freshmen, though. You mentioned that Carolina did have a pretty decent number come in this year. Did any of them kind of stick out to you during this very first day of practice? Well, I think the one that kind of stood out to me was De'Ami Brown, uh, just because you know, as a as a freshman, well, well two reasons. One, uh, the kid's very athletic. He's got a good size to him. He's one of those guys that kind of just glides. You know, some guys you see them running and they look like uh, you know, kind of the, the road runner where it takes them a minute to get going. And then once they get going, they, they run pretty fast. Well, Brown just kind of glides and he's, he's very quick, uh, very fluid. And so you see those things and you're like, wow, who's this kid? Oh, okay. That's, that's the true freshman. Uh, but the other part of it too is Luke Pascal was working with the wide receivers today and Pascal's on Brown's rear end pretty much the whole time through team drills. You're tugging here, you're pulling there, trying to make sure he's set up exactly right at the line of scrimmage, making sure he's exactly far away from the tight end as he's supposed to be. All those little details that are so critically important. Uh, and so a lot of talent Brown has, he's got a long way to go in learning this offense. That's one of the benefits of coming in in, in the spring though, because he's going to, by the end of spring ball, he's going to have grown a tremendous amount. And so when training camp starts, he's really going to be in position to challenge for some playing time. Yeah, he and Jordan Adams, I think, both are in the running to see a lot of action as freshmen in a wide receiver core that I think most people would agree needed to have a little bit of an influx of talent after last season. Yeah, and I'd say the the green kid out of Florida. I mean, he's somebody that FSU really wanted. Jason Staples is really high on him. He could be the best of the bunch. Yeah, he's got that rare combination of both speed and size. I think with Diami and Jordan, they both have attributes that are kind of more heavily weighed in one direction or another. Like with Jordan Adams, you know his athleticism, but he's not really, he's not the biggest kid, you know? Agreed. I guess then aside from him, anyone else, you know, that, that you recall that kind of maybe looked a little bit bigger size-wise, maybe was just stepping up a little bit during this practice? You know, it's kind of hard to tell with it with it being in the rain and with it being at, at Keenan Stadium. Uh, where we're not actually on the field like we typically are at Old Navy. Uh, so you're not able to kind of get up close and personal and see exactly how big these guys have gotten. Uh, and it, in a few more practices, I'll be able to give you a much better idea of who looks who looks the part. Uh, but I will say Jalen Dalton uh, is just a monster on the inside, and he, he kind of always has been. But he, he looks like a man, and I think it's time for him to finally step up. Um, you, there's plenty of size on the offensive line, a lot of big kids, you know, Charlie Hex, not the only monster out there anymore. Uh, but I, you quarterback rightfully so will be talked about a lot. I, I think offensive line is critically important. I mean, this is yes. offensive line that was not very good last year and they lost four starters. Um, and so you, you, William sweeps out this spring. So really you're playing with, with one starter right now. So a lot of opportunities for young guys to come in, but they're going to be very raw. And so that group, you know, Chris Kapilvic has a lot of work ahead of him between now and that cow game to be able to put together a, uh, a unit that is cohesive uh, and, and can, can really do some things both in the run game and, and uh, pass blocking because while there is talent and the recruiting rankings look good, you know, a lot of these kids haven't played. And that, that is something 
that no matter how, how well you practice and how well your recruiting rankings look, until you actually get out there and play and play in a number of games, you know, we're not going to have a, a really good idea of how good those guys are going to be. So uh, you know, I, I think that is a, a significant question mark for this team this all season. But as I said, a lot of size, uh, a lot of you know, bodies have some good recruiting rankings beside them. But we, we have to see how that plays out. Do you think that any of the true freshman offensive linemen could potentially see playing time this year? It's possible. It would not surprise me if William Barnes is a kid that could come in and play. Uh, I will say, though, it's very rare mm-hmm. for um, an offensive lineman to come in out of high school and be be prepared, not, not only physically. I mean, physically is almost the easy part. The offensive linemen have such a tough job in terms of understanding what they're supposed to do and working with the guy beside them. Um, and you know, a lot of people thought you know, Bentley Spain would come in and it would be, hey, you know, James Hurst started as a freshman, and you know, Bentley can do the exact same thing. And Chris Kapilovic was very much like, look, Hurst was you know, up there. He was a very unique, very talented, ready-to-go kid when he stepped on campus. And that's why you know, he, he was so good. And not that Spain wasn't good. Spain was really good. But asking a kid to come in and be that productive that early is, just, is asking a lot. You know, um, and so I, I think it's possible that those guys could challenge, but also think that you, you probably don't want to have to see that because that may, say, that may say more about what's in front of them than the actual talent of that kid. Uh, and I say that knowing that Barnes is a very highly recruited kid and he probably has the potential to be able to play. But you would hope that some of the other highly recruited kids that have been in the program for at least a year have developed enough to be able to play without forcing a kid like that into, into starting time. I want to get your thoughts on Tamon Fox because I saw that he was listed as a potential starter there at the defensive end to the surprise of no one. But I think what's important for Fox is that he is healthy because last season I thought he made a tremendous difference on the, on the defensive line when he was actually on the field. Yeah, for sure. And I think Fox is one of those guys because uh, you know, early in his career, uh, he wasn't the biggest guy that you know, sometimes you have some issues against the run. And I think that's one of the reasons you saw Dewan Drennan move in front of Fox last year. It's because Drennan was experienced. He's a, you know, a heavier guy uh, and he could handle the run game a little bit better. And so that's going to be the big test for, for Fox is you, you had the starting position, then you lost it. Uh, you can can you prove that you have you have bulked up quite enough? And this is his third year, so there's no reason to think that that he can't meet the physical demands. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you you've got two quick guys on the edge. I mean, with with him uh, and Malik Carney, and so that's a benefit. But you also be, have to be able to hold up against the run, and I think that's going to be the key thing for Fox. Is you know, is he healthy enough? Uh, is he strong enough? Is he is he big enough to be able to be productive uh, not only as a pass rusher? but also against the run. And if he can do that, that's a, that's a big benefit because you know, at, the, at the moment, we're not exactly sure what Tyler Powell's status is going to be. Um, he, he's not with the team right now. There is the possibility that he returns for the fall, uh, but nobody knows exactly what his plan is at this point in time. Let's close this one out by talking about some of the coaches. You mentioned, Greg, that Pascal has moved from running backs to now – coach the wide receivers 
And as Don and I mentioned in the first part of this podcast, that's due to Coach Brewer leaving the Tar Heel program to join the Philadelphia Eagles in, in the NFL. Don talked about the impact that Brewer's loss would have on the recruiting side of things, Greg, but I wanted to get your thoughts on how the staff could try to replace Brewer as a coach and his ability to teach these kids and really get the best out of that wide receiver core. Well, that's, that's the thing because Gunnar Brewer, he's been a wide receivers coach pretty much since the early 1990s when he was at East Tennessee State. And not only has he coached some big names at UNC, I mean, he's coached for the, the five uh, leading career reception guys in Switzer and Jaworski Polak when he was here the first time. But he's also coached you know, some, some big-name guys, some guys that have won the Blitnikoff. Uh, and, and Justin Blackman, of course, Randy Moss, Des Bryant, you know, household names. And really the, the thing that kind of stood out to me during practice today is, is that you know, for the last six years, one thing you could always count on when you show up to practice is Brewer's going to be there yelling at his guys on how to properly block and how to do all these little things and all these drills we get to see. And so seeing somebody else do those and do it differently uh, is, is unique. And you know, we, we know that Luke Pascal has been coaching wide receivers at Arkansas State, um, and he, he's, he's young in his career. There's no reason to think that he doesn't have potential. But just when you know that Gunnar Brewer has, has – uh, been around football for so long. He's coached the same position, and he worked with Larry you know, at Oklahoma State, and then he comes back to North Carolina and has been with Larry for that long. So he understands exactly what Larry wants to do. And so there is going to be a, a, a dynamic there that's going to have to be uh, – there's going to have to be an adjustment period, not only for the kids but for the coaching staff and the entire offensive coaching staff. And that's the other part, too, is that the way Larry Fedora likes to run his – uh, offense, and this has been a topic of conversation for the past couple of years. But ever since Seth Luttrell left, what Larry has done is his entire offensive staff game plans during the week. And there's a reason that Gunnar Brewer has been listed as co-offensive coordinator for the past however many years, is that his input is invaluable. And so he's seen a lot of football, understands a lot of things, understands how to attack opposing defenses with the offense that Larry likes to run. So these are all things that uh, can you approve upon that with a new hire? Possibly, uh, but I think it's easier to replace a guy like Brewer on the recruiting trail much more so than it is with the actual coaching aspect. Ooh, and that's going to be a tall, tall order because, as Don mentioned, you know Brewer with just the grassroots connection that he has formed throughout the entire state and really just the southeast and beyond. I mean, I, I think that his absence is going to be felt but, you know, kind of one of the things that might smooth it over is the fact that Luke Pascal was on staff prior. He was with the, he was with the Tar Heels uh, for two seasons. I think, was he a graduate assistant during that time, Greg? He was, under Blake. Yep. Okay. And so, you know, do you think that the fact that Pascal has been around the style of offense, I mean, he knows Coach Fedora, do you think that that might help kind of, you know, ease the transition from Brewer to a new wide receiver coach? Yeah, no, no doubt. And I think the fact, you know, as you mentioned, with him working with Blake and Walt, you know, while Walt was still at Arkansas State, uh, he understands what Larry wants. And that's, I think that's one of the reasons that, that Larry uh, wanted to bring Pascal back is just because that familiarity. I mean, he, he understood what the kid brought to the table his first couple of years when he was in Chapel Hill. 
uh, and he's kind of watched him grow in that offense that Blake runs, which is very similar to to Larry's. And so, for sure, I mean that, that's an easy transition. It's more not not necessarily just the scheme, but it's more uh, kind of the the nuance of it and uh, understanding how to work with players. I mean, Gunner has worked with you know, twenty eight years with the players. You know, guys do different things and they react certain ways, and you know they they need to be coached different ways. And that's not that's something you learn automatically. You can't say, hey, I've been coaching for five years. I've got it all down. I've seen every type of player there is. Uh, and so there's a definite learning curve there. But, you know, with a guy like Luke, uh, he, he clearly interacts well with the players. And so while there is a learning curve, uh, you like the, the growth potential. Yeah, I, I think that if you're a Carolina fan, you can look at everything and at least, you know, step away from the edge a little bit. And, you know, think that this is not the end of everything that Brewer has left the, the staff. Yeah, and I think the other thing, too, is in, in all walks of life, you know, anytime somebody leaves, it's not necessarily a good thing, especially when they're some of your best performers. But at the same time, anytime somebody leaves, you have to look at it as an opportunity to upgrade. And so that's that's the way Larry Fedora is going about it. Will that actually transpire? You'll have to wait and see. But But that's the way you have to approach it. Because your coaching turnover is is significant, uh, not just at UNC, not just in the ACC, but all across the country. And so you either learn to adapt, or you kind of get kind of get run over. And so uh, we'll have to see how how things play out for Larry with you know, with so many new staff members on on staff this year. Yeah, and, and we'll see what names emerge for the potential replacement on staff. A lot of people are talking about. Jordan Gillespie, the Tennessee coach, Don and I talked about him in the first section. And, you know, we'll just see how that plays out. But I'm sure, Greg, that you will be staying up late and covering all that and trying to finish off the rest of basketball season. And then also talking about all these practices that are going to start for football. Yep. The, uh, the, the month of March with spring football and the basketball postseason is always a, a hectic time of the year. I mean, you know, just try, try to see your family a little bit, I guess, like on the weekends, maybe. <laughs> I'll see what I can do. <laughs> All right, man. Well, hey, Greg, really appreciate it as always. Uh, for everyone out there, check out the InsideCarolina.com Tar Pit Premium Message Board for the full scoop from practice today. And I believe there's also some video from the practice, right, Greg? There is, yes. All right, so check that out, everyone. And we will be back next week. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com the independent voice of UNC sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie.